Good morning, everybody. It's Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. I had an email the other week from Melissa Schrober, who is, Schrober, excuse me, who is a public education activist, and her daughter, who was in aftercare in our school system, um, suffered, which is not common for young people, but suffered a stroke. And when that happened, um, she went to the hospital. She's recovering, thank goodness. But it also was emblematic of the problems we're about to face with the cutting of school funding and what happens to our after-school programs. Joining us in the studio also is Sharika Bolden, who is Community School Coordinator for Strong City Baltimore. And Melissa and Sharika, welcome. Good to have you both with us in the studio. Um, And I'm glad your daughter is getting better. She, she is recovering well. Thank That's good. You. I forgot to tell you that. 410-319-8888 is the number here. Uh, you can tweet us at Mark Steiner. Email us at talk at org. I do want to hear from you, especially if your parents that are whose children are in after-school programs, what that means, why they're important to you, what you think can happen instead. 410-319-8888. So, Melissa, we'll start with you. Very, I mean, so, again, I'm glad your daughter's going to be okay um, and is recovering. But that spurred you on to write me this email. So talk a bit about what you think the issue is, and then uh, Sharika will turn to Sharika. Sure. So so briefly, I've been involved in community schools and after-school funding as a parent advocate for a while. I applied to and was um, selected to be the community and parent rep for the newly reconstituted community school steering committee that's headed by City Schools and the Family League here in Baltimore. So I've been involved with this issue before the personal events with my daughter, But on the 9th of May, uh, my husband got a call that our daughter um, had taken ill at school, at school aftercare, um, and was having trouble talking. Mm. Um, So he called me and rushed to be with her. And um, as we learned later that evening at Johns Hopkins, she had just turned nine and had suffered a stroke at school aftercare. So we still don't know why that happened. Um, and she is recovering well, but it is thanks to the quick action of her well-trained, um, extremely caring after-school community that they recognized that something was not only wrong but very wrong and called 911 quickly. And so my daughter benefited from a caring adult, as should other children in the city. And that really personalized events for me about how important it is for all children to have a caring adult as part of their after-school community um, so that... In the in the case of a rare event like this, or in any other event, someone is there to help that child and that family. Sharika, so what's the involvement here of Strong City, and what is your I mean, what are your thoughts about all this? Right. So I am a community school coordinator myself. I also co-chair the Baltimore Education Coalition, and you know what Melissa just described helps us think about the important role that schools and after-school programming provide. They're not only a place for students' well-being and safety to be taken care of, but also for them to have academic supports and enrichments. Um, And so I'm here just to get the message out about how critical it is that our our city uh, take the need to fund these programs. Uh, 13 million is what we're seeing that needs to be allocated right now. There's the $10 million that we support that President Jack Young pledge to support city schools to fix the gap. Um, and then another $3 million that's needed to avoid further cuts for after-school programs, like Melissa talked, for the community school strategy. So I'm going to come back to the numbers here for a moment. And sure. let me also introduce uh, Kelly Brown. 
Hi, good morning. Hi, Kelly, Hi. who is uh, community school coordinator with the Arundel Elementary Middle School, uh, school number 164, and Elevate Baltimore, part of uh, Humanum. Good yeah. to have you in the studio. Hi, thank you for having me. Good morning. And to Sean Brown, welcome. Good to have you in the studio. Sean is a seventh grader from uh, the, uh, the middle school at uh, Arundel. Good to have you here. So talk a bit about how does this affect your lives day to day, this notion of cutting after school programs that we began talking about. Sean, you want to start? Yeah, I'll start. Good. Well, welcome to the program. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 people cutting the after school programs, like, it's not, like, good because, like, people got to get extra help when they classwork and stuff, and then they go after school and get extra help. Do you, uh, do you participate in after school programs? No, sir. You don't? So you know people who do? Why don't you? I'm not sure. Okay, so, <laughs> so, why, why, so what, what are the, your friends who do? Why, what do they get out of it? I mean, they get, like, more help when they work and stuff out of it. Like, I got a lot of brothers and sisters that go there. Uh-huh. And, and so, um, so, Kelly, talk a bit about... Yeah, so on a, on a um, not just for Tayshawn, but he talked about having brothers and sisters. He has five brothers and sisters who participate in after-school programs, and he sees daily as well as um, on a much larger scale how the program academics and the arts actually affect his younger siblings and give them some things to do. And from a community school's perspective, so I'm a community school coordinator at Arundel, um, we see so many students who are not in after-school programs um, because there's not enough in the community to to actually serve them, and they may um, end up doing things that are not um, helping them enforce their or helping them increase their grades or um, giving them exposure to things that will actually keep them on the right track. Um, so I think the after-school programs that we do have, the, the few that we have, cannot afford to be cut or to be um, for us to lose them. And um, most of the ones that are in Cherry Hill area specifically are um, to gal- tailored towards the younger students. So Tayshawn said he wasn't in an after-school program, but mainly because of the the amount of students that we have in them. We have um, a pre-K through fourth grade program in Cherry Hill called Bell. That's about one of the only programs that serves the uh, Cherry Hill community. And then there's a higher achievement program that cannot take all of the students in the area. And that's all the funding that there is right now to support that area. So how many kids? Uh, how many kids? Are, how many kids are taken care of in that situation? How many are left out? Do we know? Uh, well, the ratio. I, w- I would say. Um, so the Bell program supports about sixty-five of our children um, in Arundel, and then in Cherry Hill. There's there's two elementary, middle schools. There's actually four in the area, but there's only two that has that after-school program component offered, and they're both community schools. So as you see, if if the community school wasn't attached to it, it would be a lot harder to keep that partnership going. And then there's a higher achievement program for middle grade students that only can take, I want to say their um, enrollment is at 50. And they have to split that enrollment between all of the schools in the area. So there may be 15 coming from Arundel, 15 coming from Carter G, 15 coming from Cherry Hill. And then that the rest are left out um, with nowhere else, to nothing to do as far as after school programming unless community school coordinators and administrators find additional resources to bring into the community. So we have these small pockets of programs as well, like mentor programs, um, Boy Scouts programs that that also meet the needs of our students. They come in maybe during school or after school on the weekends and things like that. So go ahead. Should we please? Yeah, that it's what Kelly is describing. It's, It's so disheartening as a community school coordinator to be in a position where, um, we see that students have to be prioritized and only a, a small number gets selected to be in the programs. 
Uh, if we look at the, the data citywide, with our current level of investment, just about 15% of our students uh, district-wide have access to after-school programming. So we're talking about we are just um, hitting the bare minimum right now, and now we're talking about making that even less. And this is especially concerning to me as a parent and advocate because North Avenue, the Baltimore City Public Schools, passed a community schools policy this past fall to try to encourage every school to become a community school um, longer term. And with the return of city schools to mayoral control after this past legislative session, the time really is now to capitalize on movement and energy around community schools, not to be taking money away. So, and this, this seems to me there's a number of issues here. One is this whole question of community schools and the development of that, which has been slow in coming in the city, but bit by bit, kind of putting in the, you know, I mean, because, I mean, there are, how many schools are in the city out of the 100, 183 schools? 181. Yeah, about a third of them are community schools. Which means they're supposed to be open all day long and open to the community for other resources. Right, yeah. the strategy right. allows us to bring in those other resources that would not otherwise be there. So yeah. who pays for after school now? Where does that money come from? Grants and funding. Um, so some after school providers rely on grants from maybe the Family League or some smaller private grants. Most of that funding is still coming from the state or the local city or the city. Um, and it's just um, spread out based off of the um, the providers, or based off of the organizations who apply for those those grants. But it's limited funding, so that that's what, what we're up against. So how much is in the regular city school budget for after-school programs at this moment? Very, very little. The, the money that we're talking about today, the $2.4 million for the community schools piece, is money that goes to the Family League of Baltimore City to fund community school coordinator positions. And then in addition, the Maryland Out of School Time Network, I know, helps contribute for after school programming too. Um, but the Family League hires, as, as Kelly is part of Elevate and Humanim, um, hires those community school coordinator positions. So it's not part of the city school's budget. It's It comes through another avenue through Family League. And there's been debate over whether or not Family League is the appropriate locus for those funds. That's sort of and aside, because we need the money that's first it. to right. have that conversation. Right, right. <laughs> um, but but that's where that's where the money goes to hire community school coordinators who then use their position to leverage those funds that Kelly was talking about to bring in grant and outside funders. Um, where my daughter attends is also a community school, and we have a community school coordinator too. So how so I guess what's confusing here is how is this tied to the budget cuts? So do you want me to? Um, so after the uprising. Um, Stephanie Rawlings Blake had increased money for after school for community school and after school right. programming. Um, then that money was taken back the next fiscal year, and the Baltimore Sun wrote a long op-ed calling it a cruel cut. And the funds were restored after back and forth with the city council. So this year, with the new mayor, the cuts were once again made to those funds that were added to the budget post uprising. So the funds came post uprising and are now being taken back, even though we're only two years out, and we have as much need as we did before. And, and to add, also to add to Melissa, um, the part that um, we didn't mention is that principals, they match the funding. So what happens if, if the principal doesn't have the money in her budget or his or her budget to match the funding, then that's how it, it, it threatens the, um, that's how the budget cuts come into play. Because our principal, let's say at Arundel, may have um, 
barely enough money to keep the school what what's needed during the school day, and then the the match may be twenty thousand dollars for to match what's already being put up by the family league or by Humanum. So then they don't have that funding. Then that, that's making it impossible to have. Um, and then you're making decisions. Well, what's more important, um, something during the school day or this community school? The police budget is $497 million or so. $2.4 million is less than one half of 1% of the police budget. <laughs> that's one way to look at it, that's for sure. Um, so for me, why is the police budget continuing to go up when we can't find one half of 1% of it to fund after school programs for our kids? And so it's it's very nice. It makes good copy to talk about this budget being supportive of youth and families. But the only way that we get there is by totaling up every program that touches youth and infants and children in the city, including juvenile justice funds. So the police budget still far outstrips what we are spending on youth in the city. So I mean, I'm curious it's what you all think should happen. I mean, and, and where this goes. I mean, and, and where you push. It. I mean, there's another article, uh, another the number of issues being pushed, which is the state of our rec centers, and other issues being pushed about. Uh, we could lose safe streets, which has been a very effective program in cutting down violence in, in communities where safe streets is working. So and this and so a when you look at that surplus, that doesn't go very far. So. And then, you know, when you think about schools the way they are at the moment that have to not just rely on the funding they have, but every school scrambling for somebody's local support to support after-school programs, which is untenable. I mean, you know, this is not gonna, it's not going to be done that way. So what are our thoughts about how that happens? I mean, what, do you, what, what would you say? What, what, do you, what, do you, what does your generation talk about when they talk about that? Your folks, what are you saying? But what are your thoughts about where this money should come from? What would you say to the people who run this government about you and your what you think is needed? I mean, like, we shouldn't have to ask the city for money and stuff. It should already be happening in their school and, like, buying us asking for money and stuff. It's like, like, we shouldn't, be have, we shouldn't have to. Like, it should already have it in the school already. Folks, well, leap in, please do. Yeah, I agree. Sharika. I mean, you know, when you when you ask about uh, these choices and you know where should the money come from, you know, I just it it's disappointing that we're still having this conversation about funding basic education. Um, this conversation doesn't happen in other jurisdictions. This this conversation doesn't happen all the time across the country, and so making these choices about um, providing just enough for students um, is really quite frustrating. You know, I, I would like us to be having conversations about bigger opportunities that we can be bringing to, to students rather than just figuring out how to work on fixing these, these gaps to, to make it the bare minimum. I mean, to, to me, again, the, the money is, is there. Budgets are an expression of priorities from an administration. And so the expression of priorities from this administration is to fund policing that 
the Department of Justice said was unconstitutional and ineffectual. And yes, we are working to fix that, but we have not yet. And so it would be better, in my mind, to use those dollars to go with evidence-based programs like Safe Streets, like Ceasefire. One of the things that's really frustrating for me as a parent and advocate is all the time you get questions, and I'm sure Sharika and Kelly do too, about what's the return on investment for this program? Can you show us that this really affects these students' lives? There is good data on return on investment from community schools, but it is very frustrating to be asked that question over and over and to almost never hear that for other programs in the city like policing. How come I have to demonstrate a return on investment for children when you don't want the same return on investment demonstrated for some crime fighting programs in the city? Mm-hmm. So if you don't have, if let's, let's get down to where the rubber meets the road, like at your school mm-hmm. at Arundel Middle, uh, which is in Cherry Hill. Yes. Um, I mean, be clear about that. It's just not in Anne Arundel County. Yes, it's no, in the it's city. It's Baltimore City yeah. Public Schools, <laughs> so, South To be clear, <laughs> right? So, so if, if this, are you in danger of losing the money that you do have? Yes, we're all in danger of losing money. Every city schools is in danger of losing money that the principals are the budget that they have. So it's part of the after school program at Arundel Middle comes out of your school budget, and the principal there has allocated X amount of dollars for the after school program. But now that principal has faced with other budget cuts, and it may be laying off teachers and other people inside the school itself, you're saying the money for, for after-school programs could be in, or are in jeopardy. Yes, they're on the table. They're on the chopping block, unfortunately. And as Sharika was saying, it should not be something as basic as education and, and programs that actually give our students exposure or expose them to things that um, they need. Instead of that, we're, we're trying to figure out what is more important and what, what can we afford to keep, what can we afford to take away because of, based off the school budget. So our school, is Arundel is just one of all of the schools in Baltimore City that are dealing with this issue of how what can we afford to keep and what can we not afford, and it's just, it's just unacceptable. And Tayshawn mentioned the money should be there as a student um, and we were talking about this on the way here. It just feels like he's not valued as a student. Why? Why is it that we're talking about money for me to um, learn when same thing that Sharika was touching on? It's not the same conversation when you look at other areas right here in his own state of Maryland. It's just not the same conversation being had. So um, it, it really does have to. The money has to come from somewhere. So what would ha- describe to us what would happen if that money was cut by half or more in your school? How many kids are we talking about are going to be affected in your school? What do they do after school and what would happen to them? That's a great question because the same thing that we just talked about, how do you put a price on what what a community school or after school program does in the city? And it's so, there's so many, um, it's so dynamic. There's so many parts of a community school. So uh, a typical day for a community school coordinator looks could look different, um, you know, throughout the week. But one thing that's for sure is that there are supports for the families and the students to make sure that any barriers that may be going on in that family are are taken care of. So it may be as small as a uniform or as something um, around food access. In many of our our cities um, and our community schools, there's food deserts. So we can't begin to expect the student to learn or want to be in that classroom um, enhancing their academics if they're if they're hungry or if there's if they're not understanding where the food may be coming from in the next day or two. So those things come up when you talk about community school. So that may affect um, all of the students, or it may affect a small a small amount. Then we have students who uh, who are not being heard. So something as small as youth voice without community school coordinators and after school programs, 
people, young students like Tayshawn or other students I brought here, they wouldn't have that platform. They wouldn't be able to express really how they're feeling because it takes um, a lot of maintaining relationships. It takes partnerships to get that to get our schools to a certain point. And those partnerships are ran and led by community school coordinators. And many times principals and administrators and teachers, they are so busy with the everyday operations of a school that the community school coordinator is really that person that helps that school get to the next level, helps that student, helps that family. So let me try to get a call in here before we go to break, and we'll get some more calls in at 410-319-8888. How does this affect your community? How is this affecting your students, your children, as we face a crisis of after-school programs being cut? 410-319-8888. Chris uh, from the BWI Youth Program, you're on the air. Yes, sir. Uh, Mark, um, this will be the third year coming that we've, uh, we have a program here at the airport where we have tapped into uh, from the parks and recs and what we've been able to do is uh, each year we bring 50 kids out to the airport and they come out for um, five days in a row. We shadow these kids and we show them different operations of the airport in hopes of instilling some kind of, uh, <clears throat> you know, something positive into their lives. And I would like to challenge maybe some of the other organizations in the area. Maybe this is something that they can do with these kids for after school. What does that mean? I understand what you're asking. Um, asking, what I'm asking is maybe some of the other um, 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 companies in the area could possibly um, do something like what we're doing here at the airport. Which is what, exactly? Oh, we bring the kids out, you know. We bring the kids out here. So, so where, does that money come, but where does that money come from? We're, it's, it's sponsored by organizations that we've gotten through the airport, different contractors and stuff have decided to uh, fund this program. Okay, so that, that that's what I was trying to get to. That's why I wasn't just... So, so, I mean, okay. that, but, but that is, seems to me the problem. There's only so much money to go around if you keep going after businesses and contractors, right? I mean, how, how far can that go? Yeah, and, and I think more to Kelly's point and Sharika's point before that is even when you have these organizations that are willing to donate funds, yeah. they need a point of contact to go to in the school to say, all right, so we're, you know, XYZ Corporation and we want to bring 12 kids out to have this experience. Well, who do you go to in the school to make that happen? It's a cold call. With a community school coordinator, you have a person whose job it is to reach out to those partners and help them make that program happen. So that's the link to those communities and those organizations. And without that, it's very difficult for an outside entity to get into the school and, and make those programs happen, even when they're invested and want to. And, and Chris, I, let me ask you this quick question when we go to break here, Chris, as you, as you call in here. I mean, how many kids are you talking about? This, my questions were not to kind of push in terms of diminishing what you all are doing. It's just kind of how does this fit to a broader spectrum. So how many kids do you, does that affect to come uh, to BWI, and what do they do when they get there? Last year it was, well, the first two years has been 50. This year we're trying to target 100. And what we do is we take them to uh, different parts of the airport. Like, for instance, we have a day where they spend an entire day with Southwest Airlines. Southwest sponsors that part. They show them the entire operation, exactly what they do as far as when they put people on the plane, the um, whole concept of what your baggage goes through. They take them to the, uh, they show them their operations department and exactly what each and every one does there. There's another aspect where they take them to, um, Excuse me. Where they show them, you know, field maintenance operation. What we do as far as snow removal, how we maintain the airport, how we keep everything up and running, uh, transportation, the number of people that pass through here, how we're able to screen everybody. 
We go through our TSA and all the security and show them exactly what we're doing, you know, to keep this airport safe. All, the whole operation, total operation of this airport is shown basically to these kids. And these are, these are we have to take a break here, but these are kids like over the course of a year. These aren't like 100 kids that come here all the time. These are like 50 to 100 kids that come at different times? No, they all come at the same time. And, and wh- where are they from? Five, excuse me? Where are they from? They're from the uh, Parks and Recs in Baltimore City. All right, it's a, we have a short break. Chris, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Uh, Thank do email us and let us know more about the program. I'd like to know more myself. Your thoughts at 410-319-8888 on what's happening with our schools, after-school programs for our children. Stay with us. We'll be right back. All right, folks, welcome back. This is Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. We are here with Melissa Schrober, uh, who is a public education af- a- activist who sends us an email about her daughter who suffered a stroke in aftercare. She's been a guest on the show before uh, as we talked about our school issues um, and it led to a discussion about what's going to happen to our after-school programs. Shrika Bolden is Community School Coordinator for Strong City, Baltimore. Kelly Brown is Community School Coordinator for the Arundel Elementary Middle School, school number 164 in Cherry Hill. Deshaun Brown is a seventh grader who is in middle school at Arundel. And you all at 410-319-8888. Sharika, let's start off this way and then before we turn back over here to the, to the school itself. The money we talked about. Describe, I mean, I think that's an important piece of this. The $10 million, the $3 million. Uh, break that down for us. Right. So our ask is for $13 million. $10 million of that is to support city schools overall. Uh, last fall, Dr. Santelisas announced the $130 million deficit. Correct. We spent the last several months working to advocate for funding for that. $10 million of that uh, was being covered through a pledge that President Young made to uh, pledge $10 million. And so we're coming in support of that and saying, let's make sure that that $10 million gets allocated for city schools. And Because that, that has not happened yet. Because that has not yet happened, right? The, yeah. the city will complete their budgeting process at the end of the month. Was that in the mayor's budget which she submitted? No. No, there was a cut. So that's what we're advocating that's for. Good. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. making sure, yeah. Uh, and then in addition to that, for after school and community school funding, which comes together in the city school budget, and that's why we're talking about them today together, uh, we are asking for the 2.4 million. Um, and so, uh, and then there's a little bit left over for some other uh, community programming like Experience Court. So package that all together. It's a $13 million ask that we're making to the city council and the mayor. So how much would that fund? So, I mean, in terms of after-school programs, which we're talking about right now. Right. So without that $2.4 million, we lose six community schools and 1,000 after-school seats across the city. And how many kids would that affect at your school? How many that, kids do you take care of right now? Well, Rundle right now, we have 350-something students in our school. And, and the school as a whole. And, yeah, in our school. It's a pre-K through eighth grade school. Um, if... The funding is not there, specifically at Arundel. It's not clear how many students will be affected as far as the, the thousand seats that will be missing. But what we know is that across the city, there will be a thousand seats that will be missing. Um, that will that will actually um, students will lose out on some high quality after school instruction. Does you want to, we'll open the phones? Any, any other thoughts on that before we open the phones? Mm. <clears throat> 
Okay. 410-319-8888. We'll come right back to you. Leo, you're on the air. Welcome. Uh, yes, good morning, Mark Steiner. Leo How Burrows. You? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, I want to ask your guests, uh, who are they asking for the money? Are they asking uh, not for profits, for monies like Johns Hopkins, uh, University of Maryland? Uh, uh, and, of course, we have profits, gas electric company. Uh, what are they asking of the Greater Baltimore Committee, this collection of the multi-billionaire establishment in our city? And have they considered telephones or radio phones to raise money? How creative have they been? And I'm not criticizing. I know there's a critical need, but I get the sense that the richest people in our community aren't being asked to do enough. That's just my sense. <laughs> Are we talking to Donald Fry and David Warnock and, and Mayo Shattuck and all these <coughs> got a whole lot of money? What, what are they saying? Melissa? So um, I think it's important to ask our charitable community for donations. And certainly uh, partners across the city, University of Maryland operates SWACOS, and they are involved heavily with community schools, particularly on the west side of the city here. Um, That said, to me as an advocate, what must come first is the constitutional obligation of the city and the state to fund quality education for students. I agree. Full stop. So... To me, first priority is that obligation. Second priority is additional funding. Because if we can't get people to meet their constitutional obligation, to me, we have failed my kid and 83,000 other kids who go here to go to school in the city. We, We are offloading that responsibility to private donors. Yes, it would be nice to have those additional funds. I would love to have them. I would be happy to phone bank, and I hate phone banking, but I will do it. But to me, it abdicates responsibility when we allow our elected officials to say, oh, the Greater Baltimore Committee will do it. University of Maryland will do it. We can talk about those as partnerships. But Mayor Pugh said she wanted to fund city schools at a higher percentage of the overall city budget when she got elected on the very same questionnaire that she promised to sign the minimum wage on with AFT. That promise remains unfulfilled. And she said she would support community schools on that very same document, and that promise remains unfulfilled. So I would like our elected officials to meet their constitutionally required obligations first. The Democratic Party runs the state of Maryland. I don't know about that. If they, 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 well, they, they, have the, they can override the governor's veto. I mean, they have the power to do more than they're doing as, as the predominant party with, with more votes in the General Assembly than anybody else and in the city council. We've got to put our weight on the Democrats and the Republicans to do what they're, what they're mandated to do on our behalf, the two-party system that's not functioning uh, on behalf of the, of the citizenry and the children in particular. Thank you. Thanks, Leo. I mean, I, yeah, the city council cannot add money. All they can do is, is uh, move, reallocate money and move it around, but they can't. They can't reallocate funds. They can only effectuate a cut. Cut, that's right. And then they can ask the mayor once the cut has been made to restore the funds. In the event that the funds are not restored, it comes back as a property tax cut. And that was partially because the city council members who are no longer there helped to feed a bill in the city council that would have put that before the voters, allowing the voters to decide to give city council more power in terms of the budget. But the ones who weren't going to be there anymore led the, led the vote against it and defeated it. So uh, that, um, uh, yeah, so we should put that out there as well. People know politically. So what, so, so what would be your next moves? I mean, how do, you, how do you force this issue? I mean, what is Jack Young saying? 
Well, there will be uh, on June 7th, we're going to give the opportunity for our youth to uh, speak out about how this impacts them. I'm happy for Tayshawn to be here today, uh, but we also want to hear from more youth. Uh, so Councilman Cohen will be hosting the Education and Youth Committee hearing on June 7th from 5 to 7 p.m. at War Memorial Plaza, and perhaps hearing from youth themselves uh, will help uh, our elected officials understand the urgency and significance of making sure funding is provided for education. Tishon, what are you going to say at that meeting? What are you going to say? When you were talking to the folks in the city, they're going to be you know, up in front of this live audience. What, what are you going to tell them? Aren't you going to be there? Or are you going to be speaking, right? So what are you going to tell them? Yeah. Um, we're going to be like speaking about the community and like how should the community like do other things to help other kids and stuff like that and not try not to cut the law at the school programs and stuff. So because like people need, like children need extra work. Like if they can't get it in the classroom, they need extra work at the school and like it can like help them, like help them more often. Like because it's like individual help and they mm -hmm. can get it down, write it down, like take notes off of it and stuff like that. How old are your younger kids, how old are the younger kids in your family who are in this program? How old are they? Your brothers and sisters, or sisters, I don't know if they're brothers or sisters. My little brother, he's 12, he go there. My other little brother, I think he's like, I think he's 11. 11, so, so what would happen, like, let's say they are, let's say they work, the program was were cut, what would happen to your little brothers? I mean, they wouldn't be getting the extra work that they need if the program was cut. And, like, that's their little free time to get their work done and stuff. Like, yeah, like yeah. if they can't get it the first time in class, they can just go out to school and get it. So, I mean, because so, I mean, the lives of these kids, I mean, we always talk about, you know, we want to have programs to kind of put our arms around our children and not allow them to get lost in the, lost in the, in the throes of, of, of the streets. And that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. yeah. I was looking at a bulletin board on my way out of the school this morning. Um, that just has snapshots of our community school strategy at work at the school where, where I am working. And I was just looking at the experiences that our kids have been connected to because the community school strategy exists in that school. So things like being able to go to the Greater Baltimore, Greater Baltimore Urban League College Fair or being able to go on college visits. Uh, I started doing local visits with my students in the fall. They, they expressed a desire to go out of town. Uh, so I got a grant and took them to Princeton this February. For many huh. of them, that was their first time on a train, first time at an Ivy League university. Um, but it was transformational for them having that opportunity. Uh, there was a picture of the work that they, the engineering design work that they did with OpenWorks that just opened recently on Greenmount Avenue. And so our students have gotten experience with engineering design and fabrication. Uh, they have theater programming through Single Carrot Theater, uh, which is based right there in the community of my school. So all of these experiences would not exist for students without the very minimal investment to put a community school coordinator there. So let me uh, get a couple of calls in here before we wrap up and find out what final thoughts are here. 410-319-8888. Um, Reverend Mother Marcy, you're on the air. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, yes, first I have a question about, um, I was informed that the city is being asked to fund 
the uh, renovation of the Pimlico racetrack is $300 million, and yet we have the deficit of our schools, the future of our children, at $130 million. So could you clarify how that, how that equates, how they even consider that? I don't understand Anybody respond? So as, Melissa, go ahead. As far as I'm aware, that the Pimlico renovation is an ask, but has not yet been right. passed or appropriated. So that's the amount of money that they think they would need to fix up the racetrack, but it has not yet come to be. And let us get a quick call. Dakina Pati on the air. We have, have a couple of minutes left. What are your thoughts? Yeah, God bless you. Uh, it's always good to have a historical perspective, which, Mark, I know you do, and the people there. One thing we need to understand is that after the Plessy versus Ferguson decision, separate and unequal, which the Brown decision in 1954 was supposed to undo, the state of Maryland has been in federal uh, a law violation of a desegregation order, right? And so in Baltimore City, we had private schools carved out of the public school system. I went to Douglas and City. City is almost like a private school that is funded with an endowment. Uh, Polly is also Roland Park and the like. And then not to downplay the quality of those communities or education. I'm saying so you have secondhand education in other areas. And so it's important that, as, that we take Baltimore City as a municipality, even though it has a shrinking population, it's still a major municipality in this state, contrary to the business of Montgomery County and the like. So if we take a collective civil rights type of move, let alone uh, uh, equal protection class action suit against the state, there's some things that we can do on a movement level simultaneously with a class action suit that said we don't get uh, equal protection under the law. Anytime you can you predict from a young kid's, black kids in particular, third grade test scores, how many jails you're going to build, that's demonic. Always good to hear your voice, Dr. Napata. So what are the Thank next you, steps? Buddy. What are your next steps before we have to take a break here? Right. So I mentioned the, uh, the route, the hearing that will be coming up on June 7th. Um, and beyond that, uh, to advocate for the, the broader funding to support city schools, we'll be gearing up soon to do the work for the Kerwin Commission. Um, and so that work will be gearing up towards the end of the summer because our hope is to not be in this position every year. That, that impacts our uh, funding formula. And so we want to make sure that we have enough coming in through that formula to avoid being in this situation again next year. Very quick, we really do have to roll some quick finding thoughts. Please call your city council people and the mayor's office to ask them for the funds. Yeah, I would agree, you know, get involved, all the constituents. Please call city council members and my direct, what I would like to do is keep educating the community around the importance of community schools. Um, like the, the school community may know, but the broader city needs to know what they're missing out on if they cut the funds. Thank you all for being here. Deshaun, you want to say something real quick? Mm. Okay, so I want to thank Deshaun Brown for being here, seventh grader at Arundel Elementary Middle, Kelly Brown, who's community school coordinator at Arundel Elementary Middle, Sharika Bolden, who's community school coordinator for Strong City Baltimore, and Melissa Schrober, who is a public activist uh, and uh, whose voice is always heard in our Baltimore City school issues. So we'll take a short break, come back, and we're going to learn about a very interesting meeting happening this evening you don't want to miss. Stay with us.